sing to the Lord? It feels so great. Would you pray with me as we get started? Lord God, we thank you for this day. We ask your leading as we open the Bible, your holy word. Reveal yourself to us. Speak to our hearts. Work in us and transform us by your Holy Spirit. Please descend on us in grace as we worship in the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you to think about a question as we get started this morning. What's at your core? What's the deepest part of your heart? If you were a computer, I might ask you, you know, what's your operating system? What are the rules and principles and values that drive who you are, the choices that you make, the path that you follow? At your deepest level, what are your values? You know, we all have values. We all have them. What makes you choose to do what you do? You know, like, what makes you choose to pay for an item at the store instead of stealing it? What makes you show kindness to someone instead of turning them away? What keeps you from killing someone when you're angry at them? There are a core set of values that are part of your life that lead you in all of those decisions and more and more and more of them. Today we're beginning a new series on core values. And um, I want to put up a definition to start, just a, a general idea. Core values are the deeply held beliefs that guide us when we make decisions, when we build relationships and solve problems. They serve as a guiding light on our journey of faith. Jesus, in fact, the, the whole Bible, constantly challenges us with the question, what's in your heart? Not what's in your wallet. What's in your heart? What's most important to you? Whatever's in your heart is going to determine the direction of your life. So what's in your heart? What's at your core? Well, where do we get core values from? We get them from all kinds of places, the values that we hold in life, right? Um, a lot of us got our core values formed deeply in childhood. You know, they come from childhood uh, upbringing, family and upbringing, parents, grandparents, and other caregivers often instill those values in us, not only through teaching them to us directly, but by modeling them. In fact, um, how we live might be the greatest indicator for how the next generation will turn out. Good or bad, the values that our children hold often reflect our own values. And, and then there's the cultural influence, right? Cultural and religious influences in your life. Um, it can be the culture of the community you grew up in. Um, our son-in-law, Luca, had a very Italian background, and uh, he has very strong family values. And he has dreams of raising children in Italy. Now, when he first said that, I thought, well, you're going to take my grandchildren away from me? What are you going to do here? What's that all about? 
But it wasn't until we visited there last November that we saw firsthand the reason why he was thinking in this direction. Uh, we had dinner on our very last night. We had dinner with several of Luca's aunts and uncles and cousins. We gathered together at this giant table in a restaurant, and, and it was lots and lots of fun. Uh, we hardly understood each other at times because of the language barriers, but, you know, there was Bonnie. She had been studying Italian for, you know, like a year, so she was ready and there's a lady across the table from her, and she had been studying English for about a year, and so the two of them were doing a lot of this. And it, it was just a great deal of fun. But we didn't have to speak the language to see that there was something culturally different about the way this family operated. Um, they were not just family. They were community. In fact, they actually, many of them, lived in the same community within just a very short distance from each other. And it's very different. This family believed in family, and they were passing on community values. Happened through the father who grew up amongst this group of people and then on to the son, and that's where he got them. Church is another place we get those values, isn't it? The church is a community of God's people, each one of us loving Jesus. And the teachings and the practices of the church can have a major influence on our lives and our values. Uh, the very first church I ever attended after I became a Christian, after I came to faith in Jesus, was this little small congregation in northern Ontario, Canada. And uh, this group of people... I could tell right up front that they cared about each other deeply and they served one another. You know, somebody needed something, boom, somebody was there to help. And, and so that value is pretty deeply entrenched in my heart. I learned that right up front. The culture of society influences us, doesn't it? Sometimes in some pretty bad ways, sometimes in some good ways. It's become pretty obvious in the last couple of years, uh, especially that society has a powerful impact on us, especially on our younger people. Uh, many of us have chosen to embrace you know, values that we grew up with, and we, we depend on them. We, we think that you know, this is the way to do things, and... And, and many of our younger people have chosen to do things differently than that. In fact, many have been very heavily influenced by secular influences outside of the church, and some have rejected the values of the church and the values of the family that they grew up in. Right now, in this society that's so challenging, I think it takes a very strong believer with a very strong set of personal values to not have their biblical values overwritten by things like the sexual ethics and the politics of American society. It takes a strong believer. Our values and experiences come from our education and our personal experiences, don't they? When we encounter new teaching or go through trauma or have some major life event that, that's high impact, it causes us to stop and reflect on what we believe and sometimes ask ourselves the question, why do we do what we do? That can become part of our core values and influence the choices that we make. Some of our workplaces, they have their own unique cultures. Ever watch The Office? There's like a unique culture going on there. 
Sometimes people's health, people's family lives have been terribly influenced by the place that they work. In fact, in some situations, families have been ruined by the values of the workplace intruding into the home life. You know, if it's a place that expects unreasonable hours of work, a place that really burns out their employees, so there's not a whole lot left for family at the end of the day. Those values can be absorbed. Influential figures, you know, has there ever been a mentor in your life, somebody who you really respected and looked up to, you know, and, and that can work positively and negatively. Role models or mentors or influential people, uh, even politicians can instill values or change our values. You've probably heard me complain on many occasions that during COVID, uh, you know, things like the rampant conspiracy theories and the political ranting, um, they changed a lot of people's values. In fact, sometimes they were drawn away from Jesus and away from his teachings. And sometimes they absorbed values that were the opposite of biblical values. And that was of great concern. Social factors can influence us, right? There's a good reason mom told us, watch out who you hang out with, you know. Watch out who you make friends with. We have to be careful because our friends' values can become our values, and that can be a good thing. If they're a positive influence, it can be a bad thing. I remember I used to, when I in my teenage years, I hung out for a while with the preacher's son, and after a while the preacher said to, Don said, Don, I, I want you to stop hanging out with that kid. He's a bad influence on you. They didn't know that Don had been a very good influence on me, and the first seeds of the gospel were planted in my heart in that relationship that he wanted to prevent. All of these things and a whole lot more influence our values, and some of them go pretty deep. And that's why it's pretty important for us to ask the question, what are my values? What are my core values? Our church, the Brethren in Christ, is uh, as a denominational group, but as a group of churches, we hold to certain values that are based on our understanding of the teaching of the Bible. Several years ago, the, and you may have been part of this, the church held meetings all over North America. And we sat down together and we talked about what we value most. We talked about what are the core beliefs that we've held historically over the almost 250 years that we've been together. And what do we value now? Now from that came a list of 10 core values that I think are inserted in your bulletin this morning that you can have a look at. And the value that we're going to look at today, number one on our list, is this one. Experiencing God's love and grace. Our church statement says this about that. We value the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's number one. It's number one on our list because we think that is the most important thing and we believe that it should be number one in the values for anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because it's through God's love and grace that we find hope, and we find redemption, and we find transformation. 
And I want to look at three things that help us get a, a handle on this value, this very important thing this morning. First, I want to look at the free gift of salvation. Then I want to look at the experience of God's love. And then finally, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. When we try to explain grace, we often talk about it as a free gift. It's a free gift. Well, something given with no strings attached. It's not a gift we deserved. It's not a gift we've earned and it, it, in some way, but it's freely given. In fact, uh, grace often happens when we least deserve it. There are a lot of stories that were told in early America about Mayor LaGuardia, who was the mayor of New York City during the worst days of, or some of the worst days in this country, the, during the Great Depression and all through World War II. He was the mayor of New York. And, and New Yorkers nicknamed him the Little Flower because he was only five foot four and he always wore a carnation on his lapel. He was a very colorful character. Uh, just for no reason at all, he would go out and ride around on the fire trucks. He would take an entire orphanage full of children to the ball game. He would, um, when the New York newspapers went on strike, he, he took the funny papers, which were available to him, and he went on the radio and he read the funny papers to children over the radio. It's just the kind of character that he was. Well, one really bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at night court. You know what night court is? You ever see the TV show Night Court? Night court is all the stuff that no judge in the daytime really wants to deal with. It all gets kind of pushed off, and, and often it's the lower class and, and uh, criminals and others who end up in the poorest part of the city. And he went to the poorest ward, and LaGuardia walked in, and he dismissed the judge for the evening. And he took over the bench. Well, within the first few minutes of him taking over the bench, there was this tattered old woman who came in, and she was brought before him, and she was charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had abandoned them, and that her daughter was sick, and that her grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper... Uh, from whom the bread was stolen, he refused to drop the charges. He said, well, it's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. The guardian turned to the woman and he said, well, I, I do have to punish you. The law makes no exception. $10 or 10 days in jail. But as he was talking, he reached into his pocket and he took out a $10 bill, and he put it in his hat. He said, here's a $10 fine, which I now remit. Furthermore, I am going to fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so their grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. And so the hat was passed. Now, the following day, the newspapers had a heyday with this. They loved it. Um, they reported that $47.50 was given to this bewildered lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Among those who gave 50 cents each were the grocery store owner who brought the charges in the first place, 
about 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and a few New York City policemen. Now, when the money was collected and the money was given to the woman, the entire court stood up and gave LaGuardia a standing ovation. Now, here's a good example of grace in action. We are sinners before God, who is our judge. And our sin has separated us from God. In our lives, we have often turned from God and gone our own way. And we deserve the sentence that would be pronounced on us. And we deserve to pay the fine with our own lives. But God reached into his pocket for grace. Our Lord Jesus gave himself up to pay for our sins. They were our sins, all right? We, owned the, we owed the fine for those sins. But Jesus paid the price, offering himself to die on a cross in our place. He paid the price to set us free. Our sins were forgiven, and we were given new life in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We have received the free gift of salvation, and it's offered to everybody in the world. Nobody's left out of the offer. And no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, even if you don't think you deserve it, Jesus paid it. He took your place. That's grace. Salvation is not something we can achieve on our own. It's a free gift given by God's grace. And we value this gift, especially when we realize that it's only through Jesus that we can find forgiveness and eternal life. Our part is faith in Christ and repentance for sin, turning away from it. Jesus offers salvation. And when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the sacrifice is fully applied to our account. And what's owed is zero. The sins are forgiven. And we get eternal life. We value the free gift of salvation. We also value the experience of God's love. You ever experienced a love so strong that it gave you confidence and strength? You ever had that? You know, there's just someone comes alongside of you and it's like their love just kind of pours into you and changes things. Today is Grandparents Day and it just as I was preparing, it popped into my mind this, this image that I have. I have this vivid memory you don't have a lot of memories from when you're four years old, but I have this vivid memory from when I was four years old of standing on a dock waiting to board a ship. My father had to return to England, which was where he was born, to take care of some family business, and, and uh, the whole family, we all went with him and, and lived in England for a year in Yorkshire. And air travel was not really very affordable yet. I mean, it was around, but it wasn't affordable. Only the rich flew. And so we went by ship. 
I have this memory of standing on the dock and these huge cranes lifting luggage and, and lifting cargo up and then being swayed into this enormous ocean liner. And uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I do remember being frightened. But what I really remember most about that moment is my grandfather reaching down and taking my hand. And the comfort that brought, that strength that kind of flowed from him into me through that. It was like love was passing through that hand. And you know, sometimes that's how I see the Lord holding my hand when I'm frightened, bringing comfort. You know, God's love is not just a concept. God's love is something tangible. It's something we can experience in our own lives. God didn't just love us from a distance. He loved us up close. 1 John 4 and verses 9 and 10 say, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, we experience the depth of God's love for us through Jesus' sacrifice. And his love surpasses everything, all understanding. It's a love that brings healing and restoration and can bring real purpose to your life. The apostle said to the Ephesians, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. God's love is so vast that it's way beyond our understanding. You may not be able to understand God's love, but you can know and experience it. God's love is not limited. It's not conditional. It reaches out to all people, regardless of past or present circumstances. It's a love that seeks to fill us with the fullness of God and bring us into a deeper relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with us. And you can only really experience the fullness of God's love if you come to him. You might observe God's love, but when you come to Jesus, you can experience God's love. And there is a world of difference there. This is where God's love and his grace come together. I love what Philip Yancey said about this. He said, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and that there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. Which is why God reaches out to us. And he reaches out to save the people he loves, to redeem us, 
to make us whole and to make us free. We value the free gift of salvation. And we value the experience of God's love. And we also value the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we receive Jesus as Savior, we're no longer alone. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and attaches to our spirit and empowers us to be different, to live different, to, to live transformed lives, to live in ways we didn't even think were possible. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, but you, and this is Jesus talking to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That power is part of God's gift of grace. The Holy Spirit guides us and he comforts us and convicts us and equips us to live a full life of faith out there in the real world. The Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. And he helps us to become more like Jesus every day that we walk with him. You may not feel the progress. I always love talking to, to Christians about, you know, when, who don't feel like they're getting anywhere in their faith. And I'll say, well, let's look back together. Where were you five years ago? Where were you 10 years ago? Where were you when Jesus found you? Has there not been progress? Galatians 5 tells us that life in the Spirit is different from the life that we lived before we came into this new life. And as we walk in the Spirit, you know, it's interesting in Galatians 5, in, in Corinthians it says, seek after, eagerly seek after the gifts, right? But in Galatians 5, it doesn't say that. It says, walk with, walk in the Spirit. <laughs> and, and then what is produced in you, it's a product of walking in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit, we see God producing us fruit. The fruit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are specific ways or things that happen that they equip us with so that we can begin to be more like Jesus. This reflects Jesus. And the Holy Spirit working in us transforms us. So our first value, first one we're looked at today, is experiencing God's love and grace through a relationship with Jesus. We value the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So come back to the first question. What's at your core? What's in there? What's in your heart, in the deepest part of your heart? Does your relationship with Christ and your experience of his love and grace influence you? Does it change how you make your choices? Does it affect your relationships, your friendships, your marriage relationship, your willingness to serve others? 
If this is not having an effect in your life, then it isn't really one of your core values. My challenge to you today is to make it one. Make it the first one, number one. Because when your relationship with Jesus Christ is first, the other priorities have a chance of falling into place. What's at your core? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace in saving us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it anyway. And yet you gave your all to save us and to redeem us fully. Continue to transform us. Change my heart, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to walk in righteousness, something that I know I can't do on my own. I put my trust in you. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, before we close, I'd like to offer up actually another prayer. Uh, this one for grandparents. Um, in our house, my grandmother practically raised me, especially during my teenage years, um, during some of the most difficult times in my family life. My parents were separating and divorcing, and we were in the process of losing our family business, which was also our home, and you know, all kinds of crazy things were going on. And my grandmother was there in that time. And she became the parent in many, many ways. You know, she would get me up in the morning and make me breakfast and make lunches to take to school and get us on the bus in the morning. And she was the rock. She was so important. And, you know, I want to recognize the important role that grandparents play in our lives and in the lives of our children. So I'm going to ask you, all of you, if you will stand with me, if you'll stand right now, and, and I'm going to have a special prayer for the grandparents. Lord God Almighty, bless our grandparents with long life, with happiness and health. May they remain constant in your love and be living signs of your presence to their children and to their grandchildren. And Lord, we thank you for each. They bring joy and happiness into our lives. And we thank you for all the special times that we have with them. Please watch over them, protect them, and care for them now. May they know your goodness and love always. In Jesus' name, amen.